Welcome to Anxiety Slayer. I'm Shan Vanderleek, and I'm so glad that you are here with us again this week. With over 6 million downloads and hundreds of podcasts, Anxiety Slayer is a podcast for anyone suffering with PTSD, panic attacks, stress, and anxiety. Today, I have the honor of introducing you to Dr. Dane here. He's a popular speaker, author, an inviter to greatness and consciousness. Originally raised in the ghettos of Los Angeles and trained as a chiropractor, Dr. Here is also the co-founder of a diverse range of businesses around the world. He draws upon his background and unique perspective to facilitate positive change in the world and empower people from every culture, country, age, and social strata to create the money, relationships, and life they truly desire. I can tell you I've been following Dr. Dane now for, I think, seven or eight years. So when his publicist reached out to me to set up this interview, I was super stoked. One thing you might not know about Dr. Dane is that 17 years ago, he felt so hopeless and depressed that he set a date to take his own life. And at that time, I think he gave himself six months. Was it six months, Dane? Yes, it <laughs> six was. Six months where he asked the universe, all right, this is, this is the timeline. Anyway, at that time, he had two chiropractic practices. He had money. He had a wonderful girlfriend. Everything he thought would constitute a perfect life. But inside, he was dying. Thankfully, he made it through his dark night of the soul and is thriving today. He travels all around the world, sharing his personal experiences with abuse, depression, and near suicide to assure others that they have everything to live for and to bring hope to others who are battling unworthiness. Welcome, Dr. Dane. Shan, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I am excited to have you here as well. I was like trying not to, you know, fangirl because I'm like, yes, <laughs> I love your work. Fangirl, go for it. Fangirl. Okay, so no let's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's start our conversation today about excess consciousness. I think that's where it needs to begin. And, and that's where I started with you uh, years ago, learning about the clearing statements and the things that I could do to support myself. And I really think it's a place to start with our listeners who are suffering so much with anxiety and help them find some relief. Yes. Well, access, uh, you know, we call it access for short. Because um, saying access consciousness all the time gets a little taxing on the vocal cords, but it's like it's a set of tools, techniques, information, and ways of changing the things in your life you want to change really effectively and really quickly. And you also have a clearing statement that is involved with that that I'd love for you to share a little bit about because that is the crazy clearing statement <laughs> is really how I yes. found you first. I'm like, what? And as I told I you before the interview, I've been pod and pocking for years now, thanks to you. Oh, that's awesome. And I love to hear that, you know, because I would like these tools to be in everybody's hands. You know, whether they ever come to a class or not is not the point for me. It's, it's do they have the tools they need to change the things? And so the clearing statement, it sounds like gobbledygook, um, you know, and I have a video on my website explaining it, but it's right and wrong, good and bad, pock and pod, all nine shorts, boys, and beyonds. And you hear that and you're like, okay, did some six-year-old create this? And well, sort of, I'm like, you know, I'm like a, a six-year-old in an adult body at this point, but it's, it, what it does, the pot and pock that you mentioned, or the pock and pod, you can say it either way. It doesn't matter. Consciousness, you know, is, is very forgiving. Also has a mean sense of humor, by the way, but the pock stands for going back to the point of creation or wherever, wherever you created a limited point of view and asking it to dissolve. It's something for me, you know, I've done so much personal growth work and metaphysical and psychological and self-help um, before access. And I, I still, like you pointed out, I was dying inside. And this clearing statement, what it does, is it allows you to change the things in the moment that aren't working just by asking to change it. Because what happens is we have all kinds of limited points of view that we've developed growing up and living our lives and all kinds of limited points of view we buy from the people around us about how reality has to be. And what I see is so many people who are living with anxiety, stress, depression, it's like they're trying to live a life that has very little to do with them. They're trying to get it right. 
And they have all kinds of points of view about how they're wrong and how they're not perfect enough. And this clearing statement, coupled with a question, starts to unlock and change that. And so you, uh, it could be something as simple as, okay, all the judgment that I bought about me from my mom, my dad, my teachers, I now destroy and uncreate those, meaning I'll now let those go. And then you run the clearing statement, which actually does the, the undoing of that. And you go, okay, all of these judgments that I bought from mom, dad, teachers, et cetera, I now let them go right and wrong, good and bad, pot and pock, all nine shorts, boys and beyonds. And it starts to create those dissolving. And you may get a tiny, you know, paper thin sliver on some things, and then you run it again and again and again and again. And after three or four or five times on a particular thing, you go, wait a minute, I feel lighter. And this is really what the target of all of access is about, because what's true for you always makes you lighter. A lie for you always makes you heavier. And so many of us are so heavy because we've taken a lot of things that aren't true for us and we're trying to make them true. Oh, that's so true. Never believe what you think, right? So true. Please do not believe what you think, you know? So let's apply this to uh, something that we hear about a lot. We have a, a lot of our listeners struggle with health anxiety. So they might feel something in their body. Their heart might be racing. Let's pick that. And they immediately take that heart racing or that, you know, change in heart rate and they think something is terribly wrong. And then they take yes. that to the point of having a heart attack. And then they take that to perhaps even the emergency room when that's not what's happening at all. It's yes. the anxiety that's coming up. Yes. Well, this is an interesting thing because one of the other conversations we need to have even before going there is, is it actually yours? Yes. And this is, if everybody listening could just get the, just get this or even ponder it for a moment. One of the things we found with people who have anxiety, stress, and uh, especially, like you said, health anxiety, and where, where they feel like they've got, you know, people, the medical establishment would call them hypochondriacs. I call them hyper-aware people. And you can literally be aware of, the, of what somebody else's body has going on. But because it, you, the way you get the information, see, your body is actually a unit of awareness. That's its job. Your body is designed to give you information about the world. So what happens is your body will say, hey, somebody that knows you or somebody that's thinking about you is stressed, or they're having their heart racing, or they're having a heart attack, or they're going to. And we go, oh my God, my heart hurts. And what I ask people is, have you, you know, I ask people, have you ever been in a relationship? And everybody, of course, goes, yes. And I'm like, did you ever know when your partner was angry or upset with you before you even talked to them? In fact, have you ever been in that case where you could perceive the energy of something going weird or wonky with them and you text them or you call them and you're like, hey, is everything okay? Have you had that experience? Absolutely. Yeah. And we all have. And what that is, is that's our awareness of the energy. Because for me, energy is really practical. It's not an airy fairy construct. It's just most people have never described it to us in a way that we can actually use it to enrich our lives. And so that's an awareness of an energy you're aware of. And so you call your partner, you talk to them, whatever. And you know, as soon as that upset enters their world, for most of us, especially with somebody we're really close to, but we do this with people in our lives, not just emotionally like that, not just about an upset, although that's a huge one. That is, if in letting that go, we have, a, we have tools for letting that go, but also physically. And so you'll have this thing where your heart races. The first thing I would do is go, who does that belong to? Mm. And if it lightens up at all, if you get even a little bit more breath, a little bit more space, it's, it's giving you the indication that you're aware of something. You know, and I say to people, what's the difference between I'm having a heart attack and I'm perceiving someone having a heart attack? And they go, well, pff, huge difference. I mean, if you have it, there you go. This is going on. And if you perceive it, it's something you're aware of outside of you. Well, what we found in Access is somewhere between 90 and 99% of your thoughts, feelings, and your emotions, and that monkey mind that keeps running and running is because we're so aware of other people outside of us. And somewhere between 50 and 100% of the conditions in our bodies are things we're actually aware of with other people. That's, that is huge. 
it is it is so beyond it is so huge that when i tell people you know it's it's like i was watching a a late night show and and eddie Izzard, a comedian i really liked he was on there and he had run something like 20 marathons in 25 days and he said you know i tell people i've run 20 marathons in 25 days and they look at me and i might as well just have just said to them I just ate a car, you know, for their <laughs> level of ability to receive it. It's the same thing with this. Hi, um, this is what we found is going on. And the interesting thing for me is it's one thing to have the awareness that this is a possibility. It's another thing to use that awareness and have tools to change it. And that's right. where access consciousness comes in. Oh, that's fantastic. You just made me think about it. Last summer, my daughter had to have a, a surgery that was really shocking to us. She's you know very young and had to have her gallbladder removed. She was having attacks like nothing I've ever seen before, nothing that I wanted her to feel, of course, and as her mother, I was mirroring the pain. Right. And, and I knew that's what was happening. I'm, great, I'm grateful that I knew that that was happening. It was happening. <laughs> yeah. And I really had to kind of talk myself off of my own ledge because I knew how stressed I was and how concerned I was for her and what needed to happen. And and um, we were doing all of the stuff to to keep her from having to have surgery and changing so many things. And it was working beautifully. And anyway, uh, I remember thinking, wow, this is so wild that this person that I love so much that I'm ha this example is happening to me right now that I'm feeling truly in the same spot in my body. Right. Uh, not to the level of pain, not to, you know, to the degree that she had it, of course, but it, it's just speaks so, so truly to what you just said. And, and of course, then once that was cleared, uh, both of us feel a lot better, Right. but wild. Well, and it is because it doesn't match what we think is reality. But if I've learned no. anything in the last 19 years of doing access consciousness, reality is we, our point of view creates our reality. Reality does not create our point of view. And so when it doesn't match a point of view that you think is what reality is, we just, we almost can't receive it. Like you said, it's so wild. And yet this is something I work with on a daily basis with people. Mm -hmm. And I have people coming to me with things that have, you know, been declared impossible to solve, impossible to change. And because I have these tools, it's like, I see it change. I see usually most of it or all of it in the shortest amount of time you could imagine. I mean, sometimes 15 minutes, yeah. you know, and they're like, I've had this 35 years. I'm like, well, I know I'm sorry. <laughs> That's why I want more people to have access to these tools. Yes, right. Tell me about tell me about bars. Oh, let me tell you about bars. But before that, can I just say one other thing of about course. about all of these beautiful people in the world that that have this massive anxiety that have that seem to have this preponderance of physical problems or the worry about the physical problems or the emotional problems, et cetera, you know, the anxiety, the stress, the depression that that so many people experience. One of so one thing I want to say is we tend to look at this as a wrongness because it feels so wrong. Like if your gallbladder is hurting, you're like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? But what if everything you thought was a wrongness of you is actually a strongness of you? Like this ability to even perceive your daughter, that's that's a strongness. That's a that's a strength of awareness. But without knowing what it is and without a tool to deal with it it seems like a debilitation. And so this is what I've seen with so many people who have anxiety and stress, et cetera, is that they have these strongnesses, they have these awarenesses. And the other thing that they have, so many of the people that have anxiety, stress, depression, and physical debilitation, if you will, or disease, is these are actually the healers of the world. These are the mm -hmm. highly sensitive, highly aware people that actually have such a level of sensitivity that, that there is no separation between their awareness of themselves and their body and their awareness of other people in their bodies. They've just never been shown that this is actually a strongness. It actually is a greatness if you can access what's really going on. And then once again, have the tools to be able 
to shift it so that it's no longer something I own. It's something I perceive and something I can let go of because it's not mine. Because if something's not yours, letting it, you can't change it. You can't heal it if it's not yours. The only thing you can do for you and your body is acknowledge it's not yours and let it go. Right. And then at the same time, these these hyper aware, hyper truly sensitive people of which uh, which of which I am and my daughter is as well. Uh, we have to also be mindful of how we look after ourselves when we're out in the world. Absolutely. When we go to the grocery store or go to these different places where there's so much going on, you know, not just the, you know, the lights, the people, the sounds, you know, all of it. And to be able to, and, and I know a lot of our listeners as well, to be able to have uh, some, some tools and, and some resources to know how to best care for yourself. Yes. When you go out in the world so that so that you don't have a panic attack or so that you don't become completely overwhelmed by the additional energy that's flying in your face. Yes. And that and that that self-care, that that self-care, self-awareness and the tools to change it is is vital. You know, that I mean and that's obviously why we're here talking today. You know, and one of the things you mentioned was access consciousness bars, which is B A R S. Because that also sounds weird, just like the clearing statement does. Um, oh, <laughs> pod and pock. We're going to the bar. What's going on, Dane? Exactly. Hey, let's go to the bar and pod and pock, shall we? Let, let's, you know, get happy. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and so it, it's bars is an interesting thing. It's a, a really light touch technique that's done on the head. And it takes about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And we've done studies about what they do because we've seen the effects of it for 30 years now. It was Gary Douglas, the founder of access consciousness. I've been co-creating it with him for about the last 19 to 20 years. Um, but he discovered it 30 years ago. And so we've seen these things that people say are not possible. And we're like, well, I just saw it happen. So you can't really tell me it's not possible. After so long of doing it, we found some people are like, Hey, we want to study this. And we found one of the things we found is that it changes brainwave patterns to that more relaxed sense of space and gratitude and also connection with everything around you without judgment. But also we did a study about anxiety, stress, and depression and found with one session of bars, it goes down 85% for 85% of the people that do it. It is unlike anything anyone has ever seen. In fact, the reason the first study got done was because we had a neuroscientist at a, at a, we were presenting at a conference and there was a neuroscientist there and somebody knew him and said, Hey, you know, why don't you hook up your little electrodes to people's brains while they're getting bars on? He's like, I have no interest. And finally, one of his assistants said, I've, I've heard about this. Let's check it out. So he did a study of two people that were, it was not me and Gary, the, you know, the creative guys of access. It was two people who learned the technique because we have over 10,000 facilitators that teach these classes around the world. It was two people who'd come and learned. They ran the bars. We call it running bars. They ran the bars on two other people. This guy woke up at four in the morning to process his data because he was going to give a, a presentation, scrapped his other presentation, and went, oh my God, this creates changes in an hour that we usually see with people who meditate for 10 to 15 years. Yeah, that, oh, that's right. Smokes. That's what it does. <laughs> and so to even be in the, you know, to, once again, it's like, hi, I just ate a car. You know, like you tell yeah, people right. that and they're like, oh, yeah, right. No, really, really. And and you see these effects. I mean, I've seen this effect in hundreds of thousands of people around the world. It is just so friggin' cool. But the possibilities are there for massive change really quickly. It's just we got to let our our world expand a little bit to encompass it. Yeah, wow, that's so promising to to hear about that. Well, I tell you, it for me, I I feel so blessed to be able to to present the possibility to people. You know, especially mm-hmm. once again, it's like like we talk about these these sensitive aware. Most of them are such amazing kind of healer types, but they're not in healing professions. So many. People that have anxiety, the stress, you know, what we're talking about, they tend to be like housewives, 
husbands, lawyers, professors, teachers, you know, trash men, trash women, whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like men and women from all sorts of society, you know, that are, that don't have a shingle out saying I am a healer, but they, in their body somehow are, are so sensitive and aware that, that they have these characteristics and they would never think of, of themselves as that way. But but that's what we find. And once again, it's actually a gift if you can learn how to use the gift. It's like if you if right. you took any of the X-Men who, you know, and they were trying to be normal, what would happen? They would make themselves completely <laughs> wrong. Oh, my God. Right. You know, like, why do my eyes burn lasers through the house? I'm such a bad person. You're like, dude, no, actually, <laughs> actually, you're freaking phenomenal. Yeah, but I keep burning up, you know, things. And it's like we just haven't been given a context in which these capacities we have can be seen as the greatness they are and the strongness, which is why I say, what if everything you thought was a wrongness of you is actually a strongness? And that leads me to talking about how to overcome feelings of unworthiness, because that's where, that's where we go when we think that something's wrong or so true. We we just, we're, we're right there. And then it just starts to pile on and it gets worse and worse. I'm watching a, you know, a, a teenager right now, and watching her grapple with with what's right, what's wrong, what's all of this, right? Yeah. And and to just and to be able to say, hey, you know, whoa, it's it's all good. You are totally worthy. You wouldn't even be on the planet if you weren't worthy. Like you're a miracle that you're here. Let's dig in because there's just too many of us feeling unworthy. Okay, so let's do that. So the first thing, since you were kind enough to bring up the clearing statement. Let's do this. So a lot of this stuff develops when we're really little. We come to this planet and we look around and we're like, we're like a blank slate. And we're like, wow, how do these weird people do it here? You know? And so we reach out our energetic right. feelers for, you know, how does mom navigate the world? How does dad, how do my teachers, how do my friends, how do my, you know, everybody around us? Because once again, we're that energetically aware, all of us. Um, and we've never been told. So first thing is. So what percentage of your unworthiness did you buy from your mother before the age of two? In other words, what percentage of that is what she either told you about you or energetically told you about you without saying words, but also what percentage of that is like taking the imprint of her reality and bringing it into your world and having that be sort of the structure of reality that you function from thinking that it's yours when it's not everything that yeah right you you hear that and you go whoa wait a minute i need a moment for that one too you know (laughs) so everything that is so i'm just doing it in real time with everybody and this is this is one sentence of you know from eight thousand tools that we have in access to change things but it's a it's it's a you know it's a a beginning so all of that. So whenever I bring up a que- or I ask a question like that, it brings up an energy in people's worlds. Now, some people try to avoid it. Some people feel like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to throw up. There's so much there. But that energy is always with you. So it's, it's part of what you try to avoid in your life rather than being able to dissolve it with this clearing statement so that you don't have to have it anymore. So anyway, everything that brought up and everywhere you've done that, and we just talked about mom. We haven't even gotten to dad yet. Everything you did to buy that is yours when it wasn't, everything you did to make it real and true, will you destroy, which is destroying that structure that's there, and will you uncreate it, meaning take your creative energy out of fueling those walls, those barriers, those points of view, and that unworthiness, and let's put it into creating your life. So, um, so Shan, will you answer for everybody? So will you destroy and uncreate all that, please? Yes, I right will. Right and wrong, good and bad, pot and pock, all nine shorts, boys and beyond. Goodness. Now, you know, my my entire world and work and all of that, including facilitating classes and working on people, is is about perceiving the energy and being really sort of present and congruent with it, but also perceiving when something is big or small or whatever energetically. Mm-hmm. And that one was a little bit intense for the people listening, apparently. Yeah, I can tell you, it brought up a lot for me. 
as well as our listeners. And it's so bizarre because you went back to the age and you asked the question and I skipped right over mom went to dad <laughs> because that's when, that's when my parents were realizing that getting married after three months and having a baby immediately and right. like, boom, they were done. They were done. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so when you said that, I'm like, Oh <gasps> yeah. <gasps> Even though I have the knowing, even though right. I know what I know, I can still, I, I still need, there's still clearing there that I need yeah. without question. It was like, yeah. holy cow. Cause I know that their divorce was not my air quotes fault, but I also know there was a lot of shit going on between the two of them while I was that little. Yeah, exactly. And as kids, this is the thing. You know, we think, oh, let's not say this in front of our children. Um, excuse me, you're still being it in front of your children. And even if you're being it in another corner of the house, you think they're not aware enough to pick up on it. You know, and this is this is the thing. What I would like to do is I'd like to reframe the conversation to one where we acknowledge that we and kids see kids are not kids are infinite beings with little bodies. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like they become a true being once they become an adult. No, they're already a full-size being. They just have a small body and have a lot to figure out about how this reality works. And so, but when you acknowledge that about, you were so friggin' aware of all the stuff that was going on, and now you've done a ton of work, you know this, but that sometimes even makes it more a place where we invalidate ourselves because we know it, we've gone through the psychological rigmarole of letting it go. Right. We've done forgiveness. You know, we've, we've burnt our little letters and you know what I mean? <laughs> all these things, all of it, all of it. And more, you know, let's not talk about the, you know, the chicken blood and that sort of thing that we've tried, you know, the incense, <laughs> et cetera, but it's still there energetically underneath it because we haven't gone to the point of creation of wherever we adopted that insane point of view and brought it into our world, like inviting Dracula into your house and bought it as ours. And so it's still fundamentally underneath everything else in every relationship we create, every thought we have about ourselves, every thought we have about, wow, it'd be so nice if I could just be happy. What is going on? What is this? It's, it's mm -hmm. the stuff that we bought and made real and true that isn't true for us, but it wasn't ours. And then couple that with the idea that so many of us want to make the world a better place for other people, which is where I call those people healers. And so now you have mom and dad stressed out. You're a little kid. They're supposed to be the adults and the parents. Yet how many of us were actually the parents to our parents? But that's a, a whole other conversation. Oh. Right? And so <laughs> here you are. You're supposed to be able to be a kid and live your life, except there's so much stress around you. You could cut it with a knife and you're so aware of it energetically that what you do is in an effort to try to deal with it, you try to shove it far enough out of your world so you're not affected by it. But because you right. haven't truly undone it and haven't undone that place where you solidified it, now it's pushed out, but like an exoskeleton, you know, kind of like a bug shell outside of us. And we're living within the shell now, which determines the space that we can and cannot have because this shell is outside of us. So every time we expand into more space, and we're like, yay, I'm finally happy. You bump up against that shell and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that's there. Okay. And we have it with right. how many, how many things? Millions, you know? Yeah. So let me do the other one for dad, just in case other people didn't go there as fast as you. I like that. You're fast. That's my favorite <laughs> kind of people. Fast people. <laughs> like, I'm on, I'm, hey, I know you said mom, but I'm getting all of them, you know? So- <laughs> So all of you out there, what percentage of who, what, where, when, why, and how you are as anxious and what percentage of your anxiety, stress, depression, sense that you can and cannot do it, did you buy from your dad before the age of two and or when you were a little kid? Dad, um, let's just do dad and let's do dad and everybody else that comes up. Everything that is, will you now destroy and uncreate that, please, and return to sender with consciousness attached? Yes. Right and wrong, good and bad, pot and pock, all nine, shorts, boys, and beyond. See, and, and this is the place, Shan, where our choice comes in. Because you notice I asked, will you do this? 
you have the choice to go, no, I'm going to hold on to this. No, I'm going to keep living this. But you also have the choice to say, yes, you're giving me the chance to change it. Let's friggin' change it. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Pleasure. You talk a lot about the importance of congruence. And let's dive into that and how our listeners can learn to become more congruent in their lives. Because in that congruence leads to so many good things, so much joy. So true. And it's really, you know, we can talk about similar words, congruence, integrity with self, you know, with with what's really true for us. And what I would say is to simplify it even more, because is this thing that I talked about at the beginning, which is what's true for you always makes you lighter. A lie always makes you heavier. And that's including, you know, because some of the simple things we can look at is, you know, our life path. Like I've got a really good friend, a really good childhood friend who's been unhappy pretty much, well, most of his life, but then he got really unhappy because he wanted to be a race car driver because he loved to drive really fast and was really good at it and had the capacity to. And his parents said, no, you need to go be a dentist. So from the moment he started dental school, he was living the appropriateness of somebody else's future, not his. And he's been unhappy ever since. And so we can we can see it in big ways like that where we're trying to live somebody else's life. But even it's like where you live, what kind of clothes you wear, what what your outlook is on the world, your points of view about different things in your life and in the world, the necessity of family, the necessity of relationship or not, all of these sorts of things, even if we charted a different course than our family wanted us to, we keep feeling like the way that we can justify that I'm doing something other than what they want me to do is by letting them know that I feel bad. Mm. It's like, so I'm going to go do this because I really want to do it. But rather than going, oh my God, I really want to do this and I'm having a good time and I know you don't want me to be happy, but I'm going to be happy anyway. We go, I'm doing this, but yes, I'm not very happy and I have a lot of stress and I don't like my life very much. And so just so you know, I know I'm not doing what you want, but I feel really guilty. So are we good? as a way of trying to make them not come down on us. So let's do this. Okay, so if we go back to this idea that what's true for you always makes you lighter, one of the things that you can do is look around your house and see the things that give you joy and the things that if it were your choice, you would absolutely get rid of because it's heavy, makes you unhappy, et cetera, from your furniture to your clothing to where you live. And it it doesn't mean you can get rid of it or whatever, but once you start to get aware of what's true for you, you start to get a totally different awareness in the world and you realize, oh, I, and and then what you want to ask yourself, because you can also do it. Sorry, I feel like I'm a little bit all over the map because I'm not getting, giving a very concrete example, but you can also do this thing of the points of view that you have about things on a daily basis where something comes up and it's heavy. You want to go, okay, wait a minute. Like if like let's say somebody's talking politics. Dare I bring up, you know, the utter subject of happiness in the world right now? Um, but let's say right. somebody's talking politics and you all of a sudden align and agree, but it doesn't make you light, it doesn't make you smile, it kind of makes you heavy and twisted. That's because that's not what's true for you. That's something you think you need to say to this person because they expect it of you, or something you bought that you think you need to say, or a way that you need to be to be appropriate. Right. It's happening all over the place right now yeah. it's in families and in friendships in order to preserve, you know, <laughs> I better not tell them ex- how I really yes. feel. Or is that really how I feel? Are those my thoughts? Yes. Whose thoughts are those? What, you know, what, what a mess. Well, it, it really is. So one of the, let me give you the other tool, which we brought up earlier. And we also have an app for this. Okay. And the tool is who does this belong to? If For every thought, feeling, emotion, judgment, heaviness, crankiness, yuckiness, or even the good stuff too, if you want, you ask, who does this belong to? If it lightens up at all, it's not yours. Okay. Now, if you were to do that, I mean, think about how many thoughts, feelings, and emotions and judgments and points of view you have about you and everybody else on a daily basis. If you'll do this for three days, you ask it to everything that goes through your head for three days. and it. 
for all the things that lighten up when you ask it, like, let's say, you know, uh, somebody says something to you and you get heavy and you go, wait a minute. Okay. Who does that belong to? And it lightens up. It's you're aware of their heaviness or you're aware of the heaviness mm-hmm. that what was said created. And even that doesn't have to be yours. So you go, who does that belong to? If it lightens up, it's not yours. Just return it to sender. And you may not know who the sender is. We keep trying to figure out who does this belong to? Oh my goodness. It's mom. Is it that? It doesn't matter. It's not yours. Return it to whoever it belongs to. And because you can't do anything about it, if it's not yours, if you'll do this for three days, at the end of three days, you'll walk around like you're in a walking, talking meditation. It was, (laughs) and it's awesome. And it was one of the things, see, I, 19 years ago, when I was at that place where I was going to kill myself, I saw an ad for access consciousness. I went and I had my bars run thinking nothing was going to change and thinking I'd get to leave the planet. It quite literally, the access consciousness bars and that one session that lasted an hour and 15 minutes quite literally saved my life. And I got up and I'm like, wow, I went into this thing depressed, unhappy, and suicidal. I came out grateful to be alive, looking up at the sky going, has it always been this beautiful here? If it, if it can be this way, I'm in, which is why I do what I do. Yeah. But then what happened is that lightness lasted for several days, but then there was this point at which it felt like the universe wanted to cave in on my head again. But the, the lady that had run my bar, she gave me this tool. She said, Hey, when things feel like they're getting heavy, it's like, you want to use this tool. And if you really want to get clear, ask it for every thought, feeling, and emotion, judgment, heaviness, that anything, um, or physical sensation that comes up for the next three days, if you'll do that for three days straight, you'll walk around like you're in a walking, talking meditation. So when it felt like the universe wanted to cave in on my head, I would go, oh, who does that belong to? Or when I had negative thoughts about myself or somebody else or negative anything, who does that belong to? Who does that belong? And for some some part of those three days, I went, who's that belong to? Who's that belong to? Who's that belong to? Who's that belong to? I mean, because there were so many (laughs) things coming in. Sure, sure. But at the end of it, it was like the I was lighter than I'd ever been. And then what happens, if you'll do this for three days, what happens is rather than all this stuff feeling like it just kind of overwhelms you and you feel buried by it after a while, you know, because what happens is when you're feeling light and happy, you're like, yay, I finally found it. I'll stay here forever. <laughs> you know, except, yay! except we know that's not exactly how it works. What I noticed is you know, I have this light space and then it feels like this like little salvo, this little, I don't know, pebble of poo comes in and lands on my head. And I'm like, okay, I could handle one pebble. And then a few minutes later, there's another one and then another one. And then after about six or seven or eight or nine or 10, you feel buried and it's no longer pebbles. They feel like boulders. Well, what happens with this is if you'll do this for three days, now you'll notice each thing as it comes in. It slows down the monkey mind treadmill. And now, because you're not buried in all this stuff that you've been picking up since you were born, and now you've let that go. So now when something comes in, you can tell that it's not yours before it enters your head as your thought or enters your body as your body sensation. And you go, who does that belong to? And you could theoretically live in a perpetual space of lightness. But that would be bad. And then you'd be too weird. And then people would wonder why you're so happy. And then, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. You can't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. So I just have one more question for you today before I turn you loose. And and it's about perfection. I am a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) I I say that often. Me too. And I, uh, and it's something that, you know, striving for excellence I can do. But this perfection piece was uh, really, really had me by the ankles for a long time. And, and I watch it with my daughter. again. I see her claiming her perfectionism and then try to help her kind of relook at that, revise that, think about that again. It's a silent killer. That's what you say. The perfection is a silent killer. I want to talk about that. I want to get our listeners to realize how much they need to learn how to release that idea of perfection. That one is a biggie. And here's the interesting thing. Like you said, here's the interesting thing about most perfectionists is they're actually the people that desire to strive for excellence. And they've misidentified and misapplied that if I can just be perfect enough, 
that will be excellent enough to end the nonstop stream of judgment that goes through my head about me. Right, because if I'm perfect, nobody can judge me. Right, including I me. I can't judge me, you can't judge me because I'm perfect. Right, and this is another one. You know how you have the awareness of, oh my goodness, there was so much to clear on that, uh, you know, so much energy underneath that thing that we cleared before. This is the same thing because logically you can know, no, I'm a good person. I'm not bad. No, I can do things well, you know, <laughs> but this is not about logic. This is about, this is about our insane mind. Okay. And what I found is our insane mind is where all the answers to our limitations live that we can unlock. So the, so here's the thing about perfection is perfection. And the need for perfectionism is always based on a lie. And perfection, the idea of perfection is perfection is basically the highest level of judgment of self that one can do. And that one and the highest standard one can it's actually the highest impossible standard one can hold themselves to. So let's put it this way we're never gonna be perfect but if we stop judging ourselves we can truly be great so all of you out there who think that perfectionism or sorry being perfect is the way to end the judgment of self rather than recognizing that ending the judgment is the way to go beyond anything perfection could give you. And wherever you bought that from a long line of perfectionists, or even worse, the people who had very little going on that judged you as though you weren't enough, even though they weren't anywhere close to you, will you destroy and uncreate all that, please? Yes. And return it to sender with consciousness attached. Thank you. Right and wrong, good and bad, pot and pock, all nine, sure boys and beyonds. Okay, so there's two other conversations we need to have, and I'll try to make them as quick as possible okay. here. Um, one of which goes back to that idea of who does this belong to, meaning 98% of your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your judgments aren't yours. So if you're one of these sensitive people, like the people listening to this podcast, how much are you aware of everybody else's judgment of themselves and thinking it's yours? Mm. Shan, have you ever gone on a date? Yes. Okay. Have you ever gone on a date where you were getting ready and you started looking in the mirror and you started going through your closet and nothing looked good enough? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Let me tell you. And then have you ever had the other experience where it, maybe you were going on a date with somebody that you wouldn't have even thought of dating before. They were just kind of a different person and you go through and you're like, Oh, this outfit looks beautiful. I'm going to put that one on. Yes. Okay. Let me tell you the difference there. The difference there is not with you. The difference is with the person you're going to go on the date with. Okay? Because let me tell you how this works. And I have in this. this I married the second guy. (laughs) 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 I'm going to say good choice. Yes. But it's because the first guy was a judgmental asshole. Right. And the thing is, when you're about to be in the presence of a judgmental asshole, you start judging you, thinking <laughs> you're not good enough. That's how aware you are. And you're also aware of the future, like the person you're going to be interacting with. That's so fascinating. Isn't that interesting? If we extrapolate that, okay, and the reason I use that example is because a lot of people have both of those And they always just thought it was, they never really thought about it. They just thought, of course, I judge myself on what I wear. And sometimes I feel so lovely that I don't. But you feel lovely when you're going to be around somebody who's not judging you and who doesn't have a standard of perfection that they require you to be in order to be with them. Now, I brought up this conversation and now here's what we do with the clearing statement. I brought up all that energy. Now, what do we do? Everywhere you have been around somebody, who had a standard, especially a standard of perfection or near perfection that they required of you in order to be with them or in order to have value in their world, who, even if you got perfect enough, still did not value you because it is based on the lie that judgment creates and judgment is right and judgment is necessary. 
which is not a function of our being. It's a function of our insane creation of reality. Everything that is, and everywhere your standards of perfection are actually the standards other people had of you to be with you or to value you, even though they still never valued you. And you figured if I can just become more perfect, then they'll value me and it still never worked. So now all you have is the wrongness of you and you're not perfect enough and you don't know why and you don't know where it came from and you don't know how. You destroy and uncreate all that, please. Yes. Right, wrong, good and bad, pot and pock, all nine, shorts, boys and beyonds. <sighs> yeah. So you see, this is a bit of a, a windy road with a lot of little offshoots into, you know, rest areas and such. Um, there's, there's so many pieces to this, you know, which is why people say to me, well, give me a solution for my perfection. I'm like, well, how long do you have? Because there's, there's a lot of pieces that play into this. And even though, and the thing is, access consciousness tools work faster than anything I have seen. And I have done a lot. I had done a lot of stuff before access. And I've tried stuff after access. It, But you still have to do the work. It's not just pock and pod once and then you're free. No, when it comes up, you pock and pod it, but at least you have the tool. Or it's not just who does this belong to once and then you're free. You do it for three days. And then you're freer, but stuff is still going to come into your awareness because you're still aware. So it's it's like it's it it works really fast if you'll do the work. And the results, the rewards for it are phenomenal. And and one last really quick conversation I'd like to have with people is one of the things we found is is that we'll just call them two different species for for ease. We found that there appear to be two different ways primary ways that people function in the world. You have the cow people that are happy to, you know, live in a pasture and eat grass and chew their cud and wait to go to slaughter and do everything everybody else does and walk in a straight line and blah, blah. And then you have the horse people that are like, oh my goodness, I don't fit in this box at all. I don't want to be in the stall. I want to run around. Ooh, let me run over that. Let me jump over that. Oh my goodness. Can we have sex now? Can we eat? Can we have a good time? <laughs> and they're the ones who don't fit in the box. And so the cow people, we have loosely termed humans and then the horse people the ones that don't fit in the box are the humanoids now here's a couple other characteristics of the cow people the humans is humans judge everybody else they don't ever think they're wrong they always know they're right and somebody else is wrong and they're willing to do things the way everybody else does them until they die and they look at you and they're like why do you do all this weird shit why do you do all that self-help stuff? Why are you taking them supplements? Why do you do this? Why do you, why do you do that weird stuff? Can't you just be happy with a beer watching football? Hello. And so that's a human point of view. And on the other side, we have the humanoids. <laughs> we, have, we have the humanoids that are these horse people that never fit in, that are always in judgment of themselves, thinking they're judging other people. But if you look at it, you actually don't. You don't actually judge other people. The person you judge continuously is you. And you are the one who is looking for something different, who know there's there has to be some other possibility in this yeah. world. Because if not, why the hell are we here just to live this reality the way it is? Are you kidding me? Why am I here? That's a humanoid point of view. And so the humanoids are the ones throughout history that have created the great changes in art, literature, music, technology, all of this sort of stuff. And yet... They're fueled by this perfectionism based on the idea that they are somehow inherently wrong because they're so different, because the, the, the entire goal of this reality is to make everybody the same. So once again, what if you thought, what if what you thought was your greatest wrongness, which is your difference, which is you're looking at the world, you cannot see anything linearly, which is your ADHD, which is your OCD which is your autistic nonlinear capacities. What if that's actually the strongness of you, that if you would embrace that, would allow you to come out of the wrongness of you because you realize you're not wrong, you're just different. Here, here. So everything that brought up for everybody and everywhere you're kind of like, whoa, you all had that conversation. Now my head is spinning. Good. That's the way it ought to be, okay? Because when your head is spinning, you can't think straight. Thank God. Because when you don't think straight, then you can't judge you or anybody else. And you function from a nonlinear reality, which is opening up more and more and more. The more people on the planet are choosing 
to have something more conscious and aware. Consciousness is not linear. And the one place where we will never create a difficulty in our life is if we function from the consciousness we actually have. And everything we've been doing in this reality is to try to be as unconscious as we can so we can be normal, average, real, and the same as everybody else, which is one of the major creators of stress and anxiety. Because when you do not fit and when you are not normal and you use a huge amount of energy to prove that you are normal, there's an inherent lie there in your world that you keep trying to use to invalidate your very being. Everything that brought up and all of you have been invalidating your being because you don't fit. You destroy and uncreate it yes. all, please. Right, wrong, good and bad, pod and pock, all nine shorts, boys and beyond. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so grateful for our conversation today. And I know that uh, our listeners are going to be really blown away by what we've shared. And thank you, Dr. Dane. It's just, you are doing such great work in the world. I'm really, I'm really glad you were born and I'm glad that you decided to stick around. Thank you so much, Shan. And I'm so grateful for this conversation and, and where you allowed it to go. Just really wonderful. And I'm going to predict this, okay? I'm going to predict that some of your listeners are going to so love this and some of them are going to hate it. And you know what? Either one is okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was Dr. Dane here. Learn more about his offerings at drdanehere.com and make sure you check out Taste of Being with Dr. Dane. It's coming up in mid-November. You'll find everything you need at his website, drdanehere.com. 